This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Hello, friends, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Sufi Heart podcast. This week's program is going to be a little bit different. If you've been listening to the other programs that we've had on this um, podcast, you know that we've talked about love mystics like Rumi, Attar, Kharakhani, and more contemporary sages like Vincent Harding and Rabbi Heschel. This week, I thought that it would be appropriate for us to pause and reflect on the same global reality that undoubtedly is preoccupying most of us, which is the tragedy and the disaster that is the coronavirus. Whether it is in our own country or around the world, we see a wave of fear and panic and real medical concern, particularly among the elderly population and people with pulmonary conditions. Uh, We see hundreds of thousands of people being affected and infected and thousands of deaths that are happening as well. So it seems like a time for us to pause and to ask the question, what do our spiritual traditions have to offer us at a moment like this? What do these teachings that guide our lives have to say to us at a time where it seems fairly clear that the ground under our feet is shifting. So if you've been listening to the wisdom of the Sufi tradition, you know that the sages of this path usually begin by reminding us 
to have your heart be where your feet are. So let's take measure of where our feet are. There's been an almost unprecedented amount of rapid changes where our feet are. In the United States, the national borders are more or less closed. Almost all universities and schools have shifted to an online instruction model. Almost all restaurants are closed for their in-person service. Flights in and out of many countries are interrupted. Many retail stores have shut down their doors. Church, mosque, synagogue, and temple have shut their doors and largely switched to an online format. And for the first time in the lives of a lot of Americans, they are experiencing, we are experiencing, the reality that so many people from war-torn countries have known for much of their life. You go to the grocery store to buy simple staples like milk and meat, and you find empty grocery store shelves. You hear horror stories of people looking for toilet paper, and somehow the lack of toilet paper has become a symbol of the scarcity that we are faced with. Every news story that we're encountering seems to be about the coronavirus, and the stock market is experiencing crash after crash. Every sport league and Broadway play has been canceled, and at least one state has postponed its presidential primary vote. As sobering as it may sound, The only comparable situation that I can think of is something that has to do with 9-11 in terms of the wider social impact. So what do our spiritual teachings, what do our traditions have to offer us at this time? To begin with, I want to start by observing that any path that is a real path, is one that guides you and informs you in times of crisis as it does in moments of prosperity. That the God of the mountaintop also has to be the God of the valley bottom. So many of us are experiencing a deep kind of vulnerability. What will happen to me? What will happen to my loved ones? What will happen to my parents? And what will happen to my babies? For some of us, there is a need to confront our own mortality. So many of us put off dealing with the thought of death, because it's not comfortable. 
we like to pretend that we will live forever. And we have ways of avoiding dealing with fear, avoiding dealing with vulnerability, and avoiding the confrontation of mortality. So you see some people living their lives in a state of denial. Everything is fine. We can continue to go out. We can do what we've been doing. I keep seeing pictures of people posting their parties in very crowded social settings, exactly the kind of practice that the public health experts are telling us not to do. Uh, you see pictures of crowded beaches and people saying, well, you know, we've been um, planning on coming down to this beach site for a long time, and, uh, and all of this paranoia is overblown. So there's that possibility of denial, which I think we can all agree is not a particularly healthy response. You see a lot of people respond with a rather understandable tendency towards hoarding. So let me accumulate supplies to take care of my own family. That's a very understandable response. And I would be lying if I said that we also did not collect what I hope is a reasonable amount of supply to get us through a week or two of not needing to go outside for shopping. But it also raises some questions about who are our people. Who is the we that we want to protect and take care of? I found myself um, writing our very beloved neighbors across the street to have a wonderful daughter that plays with my daughter almost every day. And just said, you know, if you're um, having a hard time going out, let us know. We'd love to bring you um, some toilet paper. And they, of course, reciprocated um, with the offer of, if you need some food or some fruit or something, let us know, and we'll share what we have. Well, how far does that circle extend? Do we keep sharing? Do we see our whole neighborhood as part of our community? Do we see our city? Do we see our state? Do we see our country? And indeed, do we see the human community as part of our community? By now, no doubt, some of these strange words have entered our vocabulary. Strange constructions that almost none of us used a few weeks ago, like social distancing. <laughs> social distancing. Um, it's a strange phrase. I prefer that people would call it physical distancing because we are social beings. We need one another 
we need to stay in touch. Even when we cannot physically be together. So my own parents, my brothers, and my sister, and their children are all in a different state. And the friends around the world who are as beloved to me as my own family are scattered across this small planet. And my wife's family is in Switzerland. We keep checking in on each other, sometimes texting, emailing, FaceTiming, whatever means we can find. We're not socially distant, even if we are physically apart. So many of us are heeding the advice and the counsel of these health experts and trying to avoid leaving our homes except when absolutely necessary. And we find that in some ways we've stripped down life into the essential. We cook together. We eat together. We might play a board game. We share conversations. And this is not a rhythm of life that so many of us would have imagined. We're not even getting together with many of our friends and loved ones. Though they might live even in the same city or down the street. I think about gratitude, ironically at a moment like this. Gratitude for life itself. Gratitude for the gift of breath, of having a heart that feels, and of cherishing these stripped down experiences. And you find out that what seems like being stripped down is actually not bare bone. It is the very heart of the matter. Family, a shared meal, heart-to-heart conversation. So I'm encouraging us to cherish the kernel of the matter, the heart-to-heart, the time the gift of life itself. Are there things that are missing from our days? Oh, absolutely. I so wish that right now I could be with my parents and hold them close. I would love to feel the touch of my mother's hand, the embrace of my baba. To be together with some of my students and my friends perhaps over a cup of coffee in a restaurant somewhere. So I also encourage us, as we're thinking about presence, what it is that we do have in our lives, to be attentive and even grateful 
for some of the things that we have to do without. To contemplate the touch of a mother's hand. To think about the embrace of a father or a friend or a family member. Something as simple as perhaps having a meal in a restaurant. Or shaking the hand of a co-worker. It is natural for us to be focused on our own fear and vulnerability. There is mercy and grace in reaching just beyond yourself and connecting our own loss, our own fear, our own vulnerability with the experience of others. One of the great wisdoms of the Islamic tradition is that there is mercy in union. There is healing in connection. We see this wisdom come to us from so many different traditions. So many of us at this point are thinking about, well, if I go out into this place, can I catch something? Some of us, maybe the younger folks, or maybe folks that feel themselves to be particularly healthy, might feel like, well, I don't feel particularly vulnerable. And even if I catch something, I've heard that it's, you know, not much worse than a really bad flu. So here's a way that I encourage us to think about the wisdom of sages and teachers like Martin Luther King. In one of his last sermons, he told us about the need to reverse the question. It is not about what would happen to us if we do something, but what would happen to others. You might feel that you're not particularly vulnerable. You might feel like you're healthy and strong, but it's not all about you. It's about those who are more vulnerable. A lot of us are being asked to sacrifice and to practice this kind of physical distancing to keep the virus from spreading to the point that it would overwhelm our massively inadequate healthcare system. Here's a very stark realization. We are a nation of 330 million people. And if I have my numbers right, I think we have 95,000 respirators. So before you go out into a crowded place, before you go to a restaurant, before you get together with friends, before you go to a beach, before you get on public transportation, Ask not what could happen to you, but what it might mean in terms of more vulnerable people. This willingness to look at life, not just from our own point of view, but from that of others, is an essential part of an awakened consciousness. 
the willingness to look at life from the vantage point of more vulnerable people, neighbors and strangers, is part of the prophetic legacy of Amos and Jeremiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and Muhammad of Arabia. Now, I've been paying attention to some of what different religious teachers and spiritual teachers are saying about our responses to the coronavirus situation. And I have to tell you that it breaks my heart to see some fire and brimstone preachers talking about how this is a divine punishment for the world's sin. I don't think so, my friends. Not if you believe in a God of love and a God of mercy. I don't think God is in the virus. But I do think that God could be in our response to this situation. I refuse to worship a God who would strike down the innocent and the vulnerable. God gave you a heart. Use that heart to let others know how loved they are, especially when they're isolated. God gave you intelligence. Follow the advice of health professionals to practice social distancing and to wash your hands. God gave you a body. Tend to your body and see the divine answering your call for vulnerability. God gave you a soul. Turn to the beloved in your moment of weakness. And if you look within yourself and what you find in your own heart is that you're scared, that you feel weak, that you're vulnerable, connect those feelings to the experience of so many around the world. Know that there are millions of people around the world because of coronavirus, because of war, because of poverty, because of occupation, because of hunger, who've been feeling afraid and vulnerable. Connect your humanity to theirs and to know that we're not alone. See the fear, see the vulnerability, look through it and see a call to care for all of us. See this love that unites us. That, my dears, is God. And that is where God is. Embrace that love, embrace this care, and become it. I want to come to one of the beautiful insights that I've been reminded of by reading Rumi. 
Yes, I continue to read Rumi, even in the middle of the coronavirus. Because I really do believe that these sages have something to teach us. When life is filled with roses, and they have something to say to us when we realize that those same roses are sometimes filled with thorns. As this tradition teaches us, in these books are this too shall pass. This too shall pass. The dark night of the soul shall pass. Trials and tribulations will pass, and a dawn will arise. And that dawn too shall pass. What we are called to do through it all is to love and protect one another. Love and protect one another. There's a beautiful prayer that Rumi's circle has been sharing. Uh, this one came to us from a friend, Camille Helminski who's a teacher in Rumi's order, and she shared this prayer that I thought might speak to your heart. Oh, my loving God, I ask for a faith that enfolds my heart and the unshakable certainty of truth until I know that nothing will come to me other than that which you have intended for me. And so, make me content with what you have apportioned to me. This is cutting against so many of our own impulses. We ask for a faith to enfold our heart and the unshakable certainty of truth even when we are uncertain, especially when we are weak and vulnerable, to know that our lives are in God's hand, to know that nothing will come to us other than what God has intended for us, to know that yes, we're going to use our intellect, we're going to wash our hands, we're going to follow the best practices. And come what may. And if our portion is that we have entered a new phase of our life that maybe none of us could have imagined, this too shall pass. And let's love and serve and protect one another in the meantime. I was going back and reading Rumi's masterpiece, the Masnavi. And there's a very funny story that touched my heart at this time. And I thought maybe it will touch yours. You might know that Rumi's masterpiece comes in six books fairly thick books. 
this is the very last page of the very last book, book six, line 4903. آنچه گفت مادر بچه را گر خیالی آیدت در شب فرا. It's a beautiful story. And it goes like this. One night, a mother said to her child, If at night you have a nightmare and you see yourself in a scary place and you think that you're seeing a ghost or a demon, dark and scary demon. Be strong in your heart. Don't hide. Attack the ghost. Attack the demon. And the ghost is going to run away from you. And the child said, wow, mom, you have a great idea. What if the ghost's mommy has told it the same thing? (laughs) What if You, being my mom, have told me to attack the ghost, but the ghost's mom is telling it to attack me. How about if you give me some piece of advice that if the ghost is attacking me and is grabbing me by the neck and is hanging on to me, mama, then what do I do? I want you to teach me how to stand up and persevere, Mama, I want you to tell me that me as your child and that ghost both come from the same God. It's such a powerful story. So to begin with, the wise words of the mother are that when you notice a fear, When you notice a vulnerability, rather than turning away from it, rather than being in denial, rather than hiding away from it, walk to it, go to it, be open, confront your own fear, confront your mortality and your vulnerability. Yeah, we are scared. Yes, we are weak. Yes, we might even be grieving. I'm dealing with students who will never have a graduation ceremony the way that they had imagined it. Dealing with teenagers who are angry about the fact that they can't, or at least they shouldn't, get together with their friends. There is a loss. Many of us are worried about our aging parents, maybe worried about our own selves. Let us look these ghosts and these demons straight on. Yes, I'm not invincible. Yes, I am weak and perhaps frightened, but this too shall pass. And My body will at some point pass. I was hoping that I would get to live a hundred years. Maybe it'll be sooner than I thought. Maybe the lives of some of the people that I love so much will be altered. 
maybe I will suffer, and maybe they will suffer. But I have something in me, a soul, that is from God and is returning back to God. There is something in you that is luminous, that is pure light. And you are on this journey of the soul from the one back So what is Rumi telling us? What if the ghost's mommy is telling it also to attack? Teach me what to do when the dark demon of fear is grabbing me by the neck. Yes. We might be entering a new phase, my friends. None of us know at this point how long this will last. No health expert, certainly no politician, and no would-be spiritual teacher can answer with certainty. Are we talking about three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months? Or is it possible that this is somehow the new normal. That from time to time, we might see the rise of these global pandemics. That fear and vulnerability are going to be hanging around our neck. If that's the case, let us figure out how to live how to welcome them, and that the one that sent you the fear is also sending you the comfort. That you yourself are the source of the fear, and you yourself will have to tap into something deep inside, high above, To find that comfort, that assurance, that there is something in you that is luminous and that will linger always. As we bring our conversation to an end, I want to take a moment and acknowledge the courageous work that a lot of doctors, nurses, healthcare providers all over the world are doing, providing care for the most vulnerable under exhausting conditions. And I simply want to let them know that their work, your work, right now, your breath, the healing that comes through you is more sacred than any ritual you could be doing in any church, in any mosque, or in any temple. For the people who are working 
to make sure that there's food in grocery stores, in restaurants for takeout, delivering food. So many of the services that oftentimes are underpaid, people who are barely subsisting at the very threshold of our society, you are the heroes. You may not wear capes, but you are the heroes of our community. So what can you and I do in the meantime? I urge us to spend a good majority of every day unplugging. There is not much in terms of the news cycle at this point which will either comfort you or inform you, it will increase you in fear and anxiety. Make a point once a day, maybe towards the evening time, for a 10-15 minute time period, to survey the news. If watching a certain president, someone who was calling the coronavirus a hoax, and disbanding the office to deal with epidemics, if watching him raises your blood pressure, well, don't. All of us are running low in terms of our inner reservoirs. You gotta pace yourself. And you gotta pace yourself not only for this day and this week, but for something that may drag on for months and months. You gotta replenish yourself. You gotta keep asking yourself, what do I do that rejuvenates me in this new normal? Is it meditation? Is it prayer? Is it to read a good book? Is it to cook a simple meal? Do I live somewhere that I can still go for a safe nature walk? Do I live with someone that I'm allowed to share and embrace with? Find what it is that rejuvenates you and return to that practice again and again and again. I do encourage us even in these uncertain days, and especially in these uncertain days, to breathe deeply, to take time every morning for meditation, and a few times every day for prayer. Let go of the need to play God, to pretend that we're somehow fully in control. There is a God, and the God of the mountaintop is with us in this valley bottom. Connect your fear, connect your vulnerability to others. All of us are in this together.
work on developing a structure for your days. Ritual matters. Have a plan for your day. Can you get some physical activity? Can you go for a walk? When are you going to meditate each day? Can you find something to read that nourishes you? When might you cook a meal? And at what points are you going to reach out to people to let them know that they are loved and seen and remembered? Observe your hearts. Observe your body. Make peace with this fear and vulnerability that is hanging around all of our necks. And remember that you are a luminous being from the heavens, here for a while, and heading back to our same shared cosmic energy. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be at peace. And may we, as a human community, make it through this crisis. May we emerge healed and more whole and more aware of the deep and profound ways in which our lives and our reality connected. My name is Omid Safi and I thank you for keeping company together. Be well. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash be here now.